Amen. It is uh, interesting, the first service, and today, how many people asked a real short question. And the question, when asked with emphasis on different words, can come across uh, differently. So be careful how you emphasize words. Are you speaking? <laughs> Are you speaking? My sister was there the first, and she said, hey, what do you have that on for? And I said, I just like to wear it around now. <laughs> so it can be, are you speaking? That's how I would encourage you to ask. Are you speaking? So we are going to continue in the miracles that uh, Jesus did. And uh, we're going to go th start with John chapter 6. And uh, we are going to read the miracle that you're all familiar with. And I want you to keep in mind that there is a central theme and a central priority in Scripture, especially in the book of John. It is so magnified from John chapter 1 all the way through. There's a magnification of what is the theme so you understand that everything you hear has to fit under that theme and it has to be subservient to that theme. And the theme, as Ben quoted the first day, is in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Is that He is giving a theme right from the start. I know I'm man, but I want you to understand God and I are one. I came from the Father, the Father and I are one. Anything that was done before I arrived here, way back in all the writings of the canons and all of the Old Testament, was done by Father and me. It wasn't done by Father alone. There was nothing that brought, was brought into existence that was not brought into existence by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were one. That theme then weaves itself all the way through. You'll see it in almost every chapter, him stopping and pausing and say, just so you understand now, I do nothing on my own initiative. Anything that I see the Father do, I do. I do say nothing but what the Father does. I and the Father are one. We're one. We're completely one. He had to let them know that I came forth from the Father. And that was so crucial. Even when it says that uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Henceforth, you know him and have seen him. And Philip says, well, just show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. It will be enough for us. And he says, Philip, Philip, have I been with you this long, and you yet do not understand that I and the Father are one. He that sees me sees the Father. Believe me that I came from the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the miracles, the works themselves. So you're going to see that as we read this, the works, the miracles are simply testifiers of this truth. Join me as we read. John chapter 6, starting with verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and the great multitude was following him, because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. 
Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said, Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may all eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be sufficient for them to even receive a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. Jesus therefore took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seating. And likewise also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over. And when therefore the people saw the sign that he had performed, they said, This is of truth the prophet who is to come into the world. I was reading the other day in my psalm, and I, I went back to Psalm 104, and, and it caught my attention because in knowing what Ben has been preaching about, what I was going to preach on, and what Nick will preach on, I began to look at the seven signs that he kind of left us. Now remember, it's said in there that many, many, many signs were done, seven were recorded. And for some reason, he chose to record these seven. Uh, I, I can't tell you why other than that he touches on almost every aspect of your life and my life. Interesting. Are we gone? It was interesting that when I went to Psalm 104, I looked back here and the same miracles that we are going to look at all the way through John here were done by Jehovah. And, and the demonstration of the Father doing all of these same type of things. Said uh, at the sound of the thunder, they, the waters hurried up, the mountains rose, the valleys sunk down, and he set the boundaries that they would not return to cover them. He was demonstrating his power and authority over everything created out of all nature, out of all land and sea. He spoke forth and the stars were in their place. He sent springs of water. Then it comes down and says he watered the mountains so that he would satisfy the fruit in the field. He caused grass to grow so that there would be vegetation for the honoring labor of man, that there would be food enough for him to be satisfied. He poured forth then a wine that would make man's heart glad. And when the sun rises and when it draws, he brings food for man. And it goes on down, says all the way to the end, and he says, Thou dost hide thy face and man fades away. You take away the spirit and expires. You return to dust and they're brought forth. He goes on and begins to realize that God the Father did every single one of these. And what I'm wanting you to stop and just pause for a minute so you can catch the theme of what Jesus is saying is he is not going ahead and say, man, look at what Father did. He's basically saying the Father and I did those things way back in Psalm 104. I did not come into existence when I came out of the womb here. I was God, I stood with God, the Father and I were one. Nothing was done that was not done by the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We were one. 
He wants you to grasp that because now he's going to come in and he's going to demonstrate to his people and even the Jews these signs and these miracles to demonstrate this. Now, just as the Father wasn't alone in doing those, I'm not alone in doing these. For the Father in me is doing these things through me. Will you get the picture, he's saying, the Father and I are one. And you'll know the seriousness of this in John chapter 16 at the very, not the last of the verses, but at the end of it, when he said that you would understand that the Father and I are one and that, that I came forth from the Father and I must return to the Father. And they said, now you're speaking clearly. We now know you came from God. And remember what happened? Jesus says, therefore now, as he said, uh, as I can now go forth from now, and if you read it there, he says, but the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all. Bring to your you have said. Should we grab a different mic here, or are we okay? All right. So the point that he's wanting to make is the purpose is seen in John chapter 5. And John chapter 5, verse 36, he says, the witness which I have is greater than that of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works or the miracles I do, they bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. He's saying, this is the purpose. They are to testify my claim. They are to testify my claim. Now, I labeled this bread overflowing. And I, I want you to catch something because we are going to look at the, the, the main thing here is that Jesus and the Father are one. And then in two weeks or three weeks, whenever I talk again, it is also we're going to talk about in way depth that he left so that you and I could be one with Jesus in the same way that the Father and him are one. And there's a purpose for that, and we're going to see that. And then we're going to move into the fact that once we understand that and live and abide in that, you and I, we can become one in the same way that the Father is one. That's why he says that they may see that as you and I were one, that they and I will be one, and they will become one just as we were one. There's a unity that begins to happen, a oneness that begins to flow through this. And to let you know, he says, to show you the words that I'm saying, I'm going to perform over-the-top miracles. These aren't just semi-miracles. When it talked about denera, that is 200 days work pay is what it costs to feed them only if they had a little bit, not they're satisfied. Not only did he satisfy them, they laid back full, probably groaning and belching from the fullness, and he picked up over an abundance what they had before. God showers. He's a lavishing God, and I want you to catch this. Weaved into the middle of this theme, weaved into the med middle of this, uh, this sign, these miracles, catch this. He's a compassionate, compassionate, loving God. You've got to catch this because you won't be able to move into the oneness with you and God if you don't catch this. There's a song that is going to be sang after the service, and the words of it are incredible. And they're basically that we could embrace this compassionate God. He looked out and he saw these multitudes. And he went, he had compassion on them. And he said, 
We need to feed them. Yeah, I don't know if you do that in your own home, and a lot of times a whole bunch of people are over, and you've been doing a lot of work there, and you look around and you can tell they've been here. You want to feed them. You have compassion on them. And uh, first service, I was explaining an, an illustration. I don't know if it was a poor one. You can make up your mind if it's a poor illustration. But uh, when I was a teenager, I had a 13 years old, I had this curse come upon me right at the time that I was starting to develop and being interested in the opposite sex. And my neighbor, whose name was Tom Haggerty, <laughs> had the same thing. We kind of, we at first we didn't know why people were interested in the opposite sex. And people were out kissing, oh, that's like swapping spit, you know, it was like, oh, it's horrible. And then all of a sudden something happened and we became interested. But at the time we became interested, both he and I were given this unbelievable curse, now I probably see as a blessing, of a terrible acne. And it was so horrible, I remember I didn't even want to go out of the house, and neither did he. And we both were just kind of walking. We were little cocky little guys. And then pretty soon we got this acne, and we just kind of walked around. We wouldn't look anybody in the face. And I remember the pain of that at that time. Now it looks back and I think, oh, so you had some pimples. No, it was life-threatening to us. <laughs> and I tell you that because of this. The other day I was up at the mall and I was in Target and I saw a young uh, guy and he was walking down and he had a terrible case of acne. My heart bled for him. I'm not kidding you. I stopped. I prayed for him. I prayed the Spirit of God would anoint him and give him some sense of peace because I remember how that felt. And God showed me that I can have compassion on every human being if I begin to really get in touch, that God has transferred his compassion. And when he saw these people and fed them, it said he had compassion on them. He burned to satisfy them. And these miracles aren't just semi. They're all lavishing over the top. He's a lavishing God. I don't want to make light of this. I'm not sure if my son's here today, but a lot of you know that my son got the virus and got paralyzed and was unable to walk and was in a wheelchair. And then we all were delighted to see that he was able to use a cane or a crutches and then a cane and then to the point where he no longer uses a cane or crutches. And I do not minimize the fact I am thankful every day that he can at least live normal life. But this wasn't that type of miracle that happened back then. The miracle back then says whenever God touched these people, they were left in a condition far greater than they ever were before. It would be like all of a sudden Nick not only can jump up here, run faster than he ever ran, dunk a basketball, his legs are now absolutely blown away and you guys would go, wow. What is the sign coming that we need to listen to? That's what it was like. That's what the lavishing that he came and said that I came that you might have life and it might be abundant, overflowing with the fruits of the Spirit. That's your God. That's my God. In three weeks, I'm going to be sharing something quite personal with you that builds on this theme. If you do not know and understand, embrace this compassionate, loving God that is gracious and kind, his loving kindness is overflowing towards you, 
you will not be able to move forward into the purpose of this whole gospel, the good news, which is to see that they are one so that we can become one and I can be inhabited by Jesus in the same way he was inhabited by Father so that I can be a container of his love to pour out and lavish on you. This is where I want this to take us. This is where I want to take us. Sundays, just so you know this, some of you out here are waiters or waitresses, and you know what I'm talking about. They do not want to work on Sunday because that's when the Christians usually come out to eat. And they leave them their little crumbs at the table for leftovers. It's not the lavishing that God pours into us. If we walk in this manner, I promise you, every waitress and waiter will long to wait on you. I've been to a place where one of my friends gets this, and I mean he just loves lavishing his love on people. And when he goes in, when he, when he went into this restaurant, I went in, and I noticed the, the waitresses were all back there, and they were drawing straws who gets to wait on him. And the next time I came in, I said, aren't they drawing straws? And he goes, oh. And he said, the manager came, and he finally said, listen, we're not going to draw straws. We're going to take turns who gets him. And the thing, when I, when I began to see that, I began to see what they meant by that. A waitress maybe just getting by, we go in for breakfast, and the two breakfasts cost $15, and he lays down a $100 bill, and she says, I'll be right back with your change. And he says, no, you won't, and he leaves. There's an $80 tip. That's lavishing. Now, I'm not telling you you have to do that. But this God of ours is over the top in everything he does. The wine that, would, that Ben talked about wasn't just some cheap Boone's farm. It was the top of the top. Not only was it the top of the top, they didn't run out. Barrels were left of this fine wine. When he brings the food, they're stuffed, they're laying back, they're belching, they just are absolutely full, and there's still more there that could fill them again. When you listen to the rest of the miracles, I can assure you when he talked about the blind man that was made to see, his eyes didn't come 2020. I'll bet you anything they were 2010. They were better than anything because when God gives, he gives lavishing. Now I'm going to pause here for a minute. Because I want you to know that we, just like Ben mentioned last week, we can go ahead and think, okay, how come he's not doing this to me? How come I'm not getting this? Nick may be saying, how come I'm not jumping, hopping, and skipping and doing these things? And there's two points in each of these miracles that you will see continually weave their way through. He says, we brought, we brought you some food. He says, no. I'm full. He said, did anybody bring him food? Where did he get this food? And he says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was eating and helping them begin to see from an eternal perspective. The eternal perspective is way more real than the physical. Now, the physical, he sometimes demonstrates his love and compassion. But he was saying, I'm going to feed you food and water. You'll never thirst again. The wine we were going to drink, that we will drink together when I come back in the kingdom of heaven and draw you to myself, it will blow you away. So he tells you this, 
Look not to the momentary slight afflictions, but look to an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you know that when we get to heaven, all of these seven things will be fulfilled in their full entirety? There will be no more death. We won't need resurrection. There will be no more sickness because none will get ill. There will be no more depression because the soul will be whole. There will be no blindness because it will be complete. There will be no sorrow, no pain. He says, keep your eyes fixed on this. I'm just giving you glimpses so that you will believe what I'm about to tell you. And some of you will not see the miracles yourself. You will have to read those passed on to generation to generation. That's why he says, so fathers, tell your children and your children's children about these miracles that they may know that I'm a compassionate, loving God. That's the theme of these miracles. And the theme of the bread being overpowering is that because he's a compassionate God, and I want you to now gather this in summary is this. The theme is he wanted you to know he was God. He and the Father were one. So that you and he could become one. That as the Father lived in him, he also wants to live in you in the same manner. So the very things that you say, you will hear Jesus say. The very things that Jesus does, you'll be able to do. And in like manner, he says, then they will become one in the same manner that we are one, so that we together can be one. You want to see you turn this world upside down in every aspect. You take this group, go into a restaurant, and lavish the restaurant. People are going to volunteer to work on Sundays because somehow people met a living God, and they lavish you when they come by you. That's the kind of God that he is. Pray with me. Father, I am so taken by your kindness, your goodness, and I have to confess with you, I do not understand it. We as a people, Father, we do not want to question you. Your love was demonstrated to us those 2,000 years ago when you hung on a tree. You looked out and you told the angels to stay their hand they were ready with thorns drawn to cut you down and slash apart anybody from demon to humans that hung you there. And you said, stay. It says in Isaiah, because your compassion for those that would believe in the future. And you did that for us. I do not understand it. I cannot embrace it. I just ask that you give us faith to believe it. And as we sing this song, Lord, that these words would truly be our prayer to you. And what we would sing him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.